0: Phil Phil is already starting out and making me feel bad about myself. Uh, I need to be, I need to be, I, I need to be a better person is what it is. So let's, let's do this and then we'll go. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where the attitude is everything, the 98-2. I have with me today, which I, I love. I know people murder your name all the time. I was talking to you about this earlier. Uh, Mr. Phil Urbina, I said it right. Uh, he's going for the District 4 Councilman here in Carlsbad. I believe Carlsbad is the greatest community in the whole entire world. Phil, I've lived everywhere. Like, I grew up in the military, my dad was in the military, and um, we moved everywhere. We were, every two to three years, we moved to a, a different residence, and I've never wanted to be home until I became, until I came here to Carlsbad, and I believe this is the greatest community in the world. Although, people are tight-lipped about it because they don't want other people to think that it's the greatest community in the world. Um, you are running for councilman here in District 4, but I think the unique part of it is is you're not looking to serve a community that you haven't been a part of.
1: All yeah, right. I've been here for 40 years. Um, I've lived in the beach area. I lived in Calavera Hills. Um, I lived in the beach area in an apartment and then in another house close to, close to the water and I've lived the last 24 years, 25 years in southern um, Carlsbad. I, I call it Carnitas. You know, we're in yes. Carlsbad. We love to say we're in <laughs> Carlsbad. But we got one foot in Encinitas. So I'm literally, you know, probably 500 feet away from Encinitas. So when I first moved down there in 96, there was like all the shopping centers were in. There were actually none. But, you know, they were in Encinitas. And so we are, the people down in South Carlsbad are just as likely to go to Encinitas to the grocery store as they are to Carlsbad and you know we don't go to the village uh, we're more likely to go to downtown Encinitas so I refer to it as Carnitas and and our kids go to elementary schools not in the Carlsbad Unified School District but in the Encinitas School District. Okay. My kids went to El Camino Creek Elementary School then they went to Oakcrest Middle School which is in the city of Encinitas but they lived in Carlsbad And then they went to Santa Guido Academy, which is in the city of Encinitas, but they lived in Carlsbad their entire lives before running off to college.
0: Well, I think one of the uh, main reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I've got a chance to watch you um, when you weren't knowing that I was watching. And I've seen you in so many different realms. We'll get to that, but let's go back. Let's go back to Little Phil, right? So where did Little Phil grow up? Um, you seem to, you're, you're wanting to serve the community at the highest, uh, uh, realm and we'll get into that too. Um, but where did those things come from? What, who was Phil when he was growing up?
1: Uh, I grew up, uh, in Antioch, California, which is up in the Bay area. And Hmm. when we were 10, we moved to Corona, which is inland to Riverside. And I went to high school there and and then we had a saying, you know, if you, if you had a brother in Corona and a brother in jail, you got the brother in Corona out first, So it was a pretty hot place. Okay. And uh, when I was in high school, I started working. Um, actually, when I was in junior high, I started writing for the newspaper, the um, our school paper. And then in high school, I start, I was working on the school paper. I was the editor of our school paper. And uh, my journalism instructor happened to work at the local newspaper as kind of a side job in kind of the back shop doing typesetting. And so he told me I should go down there and get a job. And I got a job. My, my first job with an actual paycheck was um, taking newspapers and, and you would take your stack of papers and you'd have like your JCPenney insert and your Sears insert and you'd take it by hand and, and stick it into the paper. Uh, and then I worked on the press, but because of that, I got to meet the people, uh, who were on the editorial side. And so I started, uh, as a stringer for them. I started writing high school sports. I'd cover football and basketball and the various sports. And then, um, when I graduated from high school, I started attending Chafee Community College, and the sports editor left, and they offered me the job, and I said, no, no, I'm going to college. And, and, then, they, um, and then they hired somebody else, and the person lasted two weeks. The very first day he was there, he said, well, I'm going to go off and stuff. If, if the boss asks me anything, tell him I'm here. And he wanted me to lie to him on the very first day. I'm like, really?
0: What did you tell the guy? Did you lie
1: for him? no. No. But, but okay. I never got asked either. <laughs> <laughs> so I never really got put in that. Spot. Okay. All right.
0: Now, what would you have said? Like, if, if the person is there, it's your boy, right? Let's, let's move it into your boy. And because we've all got that guy, like my buddy is named Will Simmons. Shout out to Will Simmons. He's been my best friend since fourth grade. Uh, if Will came to me and said, yo, I need, I, I would, I mean, I got morals. I would have to, I mean, my, he's my boy too. If it was your boy and he needs to go, what are you going to tell him? You're just going to be like, yo, you don't need to lie?
1: Yeah, you know uh, that would be a difficult thing. It just, okay. depends. Is it your boy what's he doing too?
0: I'm not talking about Phil today, Councilman right, right, Phil. Right. I'm talking old school, in school. Like, are you gonna? I didn't
1: even know this guy, but you know, okay. what am I going to do? I, he's my new boss. Wow. And he and was your he, boss, he was and he my was boss. To, he yeah. was your boss. Yeah, it's like, oh, what do you do there? You know, you yeah. got to lie to the big boss or something. Wow. Um, I honestly don't know. Okay, I think I think I would have I, I would have <laughs> finagled it. Yeah, I wouldn't have exactly lied. I, okay, all right. You know, I, I might have hid, so I wouldn't have to be asked. There we I go. <laughs>
0: there we go. So th- so this happens, you're, uh, you, you start in, um, are you a big sports fan? I totally. Okay. Totally, from,
1: from forever. So I, you're getting, what's your- I grew up in sports. What's your
0: sport? Are you a baseball player? Um,
1: I was a baseball player. Or I played football, um, okay. but I wasn't very good. I wasn't very big. Okay. Um, I played basketball, but I wasn't very good, very big. I played on the golf team. Um, you got a good swing? Got uh, at one point I did, I, okay. not anymore, but um, I used to play a lot of golf and I was pretty decent. Okay? Okay. But, but that's a question that's all relative. You, you know? got a
0: slice, you got a slice, you got a hook. I mean, my slice yes. is ridiculous. <laughs> yes. My slice is like a right angle. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, horrible.
1: It, it depends. If I'm standing up straight and high, you know, I can hit you can the ball it. pretty decent. You know? Okay. I, uh, I was always a, a good long off the tee uh, and in fact, when I worked for this newspaper, we used to play golf every Friday with the two older editors. And, um, one guy said I was like the gorilla, you know, uh, how's, how's he drive? Well, 800, 800 yards. He said, oh, great. Well, how's he putt? Well, 800 yards. <laughs> <laughs> so I could hit the ball far, but I didn't have the very, the greatest short game.
0: So you were mentioning that you got a chance to be able to cover the Dodgers, the angels, things like that.
1: So uh, this guy, this new sports editor lasted two weeks and then he was gone and then, You know, by then I was really like, oh, my gosh, this guy's terrible. And I didn't want to work for him. And I was glad when he was gone and they offered me the job again. And so I accepted it while I was working. You know, so I'd come in early in the morning. It was an afternoon paper. I'd work uh, until we met deadlines at about 10 or 1030, somewhere in there. And then I'd drive off to Chafee, which was like a 30-minute drive. Okay. And uh, go to classes and then come back and, and then do more sports. And so I was a pretty busy guy at that time. Uh, and I had my own seat in the Angels press box with my what? name on it, you know. Who was
0: playing during this time? What year are we talking about? Because there's sports fans out there that are listening.
1: So, well, I'm going to age myself okay. here. This would have been 1976, 1970. You're a young guy.
0: <laughs> okay. So, who's pitching at the time? This uh, is Nolan the, Ryan. Got, this, got, Nolan Ryan. Yeah, 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 was, that's my favorite pitcher of all oh time. Oh, my
1: God. I, I got to sit. Um, he had thrown a bunch of no hitters, and this was California was, Angels at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was, he had. Throwing his fifth no hitter, and one of the big things was, can he throw back to back? And I got to go, and I was actually not in the press box, but I was sitting in like row five right behind the plate um, when he was trying to get a second no hitter. And I, you know, and he probably went like seven innings, if I recall, um, before he got, before somebody got a hit on him. But um, I got to interview my childhood hero, Daryl LaMonica. Remember, Dar- I uh-huh. grew up in the Bay Area, so I was an yeah. Oakland Raiders fan. I'm not a Raiders fan. Okay,
0: yeah, we were going to have to stop this interview right, okay. if you're a Raiders fan. Well, I'm just joking with you. I
1: had two childhood friends. Okay, uh, two childhood heroes: Daryl okay. and Monica. Number three: Got Oakland it. Raiders. Willie Mays, number twenty-four: yes. San Francisco Giants. To yes. this day, if I'm when I was coaching my kids and uh, anything like that, my number 24. 24. always, always, really? if I could get it. Okay, loved Willie Mays. And one day, um. Daryl and Monica was playing for the World Football League, uh, the, the California Sun. I you know, most, It didn't last very long. Um, but I got a chance to interview him. And I, I'm some 18-year-old kid. I don't know what I'm doing. And I go interview him. And, and he's rude and he's mean. And I, now, honestly, I don't remember what I asked him. And I might have asked him a stupid question. And I might have deserved it. But all I remember is daryl and monica was not the greatest guy to me Mm. and it was like oh what a disappointment and um so i'll tell you years later uh i was in rotary and um oh nate colbert do you remember nate colbert uh he he was yes yes. san diego padre he had retired but he was working in the front office Uh And Nate Colbert, he had a you know, big, giant guy. He had hit five home runs in a doubleheader one time. That was one of his claims to fame. And um, he comes in, and, and he's the speaker, and I'm in charge of the speaker. So we're sitting there, and he says, big, huge man. And we start talking sports, and I tell him the story about Daryl and Monica. And I tell him, you know, my you know, I, I finished it by saying, you know, my, my ch- other childhood hero is Willie Mays, and I said I never want to meet Willie Mays just because he might let me down like mm. that. Nate shakes his head, smiles, puts his huge arm around me, and he says, "Phil, Willie wouldn't let you down. He was my friend." Wow. <laughs> so, so I've never met Willie Mays, but he's okay. still, you know, my all-time uh, greatest, you know, um, hero.
0: That's Poor amazing. Zero. So at eight, at 18 years old, when you have that uh, situation happen, had your parents precursored you to, like, because I've watched you, and you're just, you're a, a, a phenomenal guy. Like, and even before I knew about what you were doing, anything like that, you were just always a, a, a really good guy. Was that something that was impressed on you by your parents, um, or was this, uh, I mean, because I think the billion-dollar question, uh, Phil, is always – are people born like that, or can you build it? I believe you can build it.
1: Yeah. I, I, I believe it's both, to be honest okay. with you. I don't think it's one or the other. Okay. I think you can have it, and, and you just have that predilection to do that. Yeah. Um, and then you grow into it. Okay. So my mother um, always cared about people. She was always caring about poor people. And, and you know, f- for a good portion of my childhood, we, we were among them. Okay. Um, but she was always trying to do stuff, and then... Uh, my father, my stepfather, uh, she remarried when I was ten. I, you know, I grew up mostly without a father until uh, my my parents got divorced. My, my biological father really wasn't in the picture, uh, and she remarried about ten when I was about when I was about ten years old. And my um, my stepfather had a number of uh, rental units, some single family homes, and he also had a small apartment building. Okay. and he had grown up during the Depression. So he didn't throw anything away. Um, he was one of those pack rats, and if people left their house or their apartment, and it was it was phenomenal how badly they could leave it. It was just disgusting sometimes. But he'd go in there and he'd take, and I had to go help him. Oftentimes, he'd take all that stuff, and he wouldn't throw it away. He'd put it in our garage. And then he would store it up, and he had this old cheap wagon here. And then when he got enough, he would pack every single inch of that, and he would drive down to Mexico and give it away. Now, he wasn't the kind of guy who would take it over the goodwill. Okay. He wouldn't take it over and just donate it to the church or anything like that. He was actually, um, at the time, selling um, undeveloped real estate uh, at a place called Baja Mar, which is near Rosarito. Yeah. When it was just nothing but empty land uh, and he would go down there and he would just pull into some neighborhood and take it out take it open up open up his vehicle and start handing it out to people and um then you know he'd, he'd do that for a bit and then he'd go to some other neighborhood and he'd st- do that until his his vehicle was empty. Uh, I never forgot that I actually you know because I was working at the newspaper at the time I you know had one of our people on the The news side go over and they did a nice story on him. So you know those were certainly a couple of factors Mm -hmm. in 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 my my service, if you will. And then uh, I was the editor of the Carlsbad Journal, and uh, the it was right across the street from the Boys and Girls Club was where our office was, and I got to know the head of the Boys and Girls Club, Danny Sherlock. And he said he invited me one day. Said, "Hey, can you come over and help us paint?" And so, I went over and I helped him paint, and I said, well, that was kind of fun. I felt like I had accomplished something. You know, I had contributed to the Boys and Girls Club, which does so much good work. Uh, and then Danny just happened to be the president of the Carlsbad High Noon Rotary Club. And so, Danny sponsored me in, to Rotary, and I was like 28 years old, I think, or something. That's kind of young for it
0: Rotary. Very, oh, it, it was very. Oh, It was very. I was
1: by far the youngest person okay. in the club. And... Um, And so I joined Rotary, and I'll tell you what, I thought that was pretty prestigious. But in Rotary, we have a saying, service above self. Uh, And so, you know, I've helped build homes in Mexico. I helped run the Oktoberfest, and the Oktoberfest has probably raised close to $2 million in, you know, 35 years or something like that. Uh, All for good stuff. Some of it here. Uh We might might help fund scholarships here, or we might fund a um, water project in Belize. Or Vietnam. Yeah. So, you know, it's worldwide. Uh, and, and I found that I, I did it for a very selfish reason. Okay. It makes me feel good. You know, helping out makes me feel good. I'm not saying that to brag, but it, it's just truly what motivates me. And through that, I got to meet so many other people um, who were on the boards of this organization or that organization. Uh, and, and they always say, you know, when, when you're involved in stuff, uh, you want to give a job to the to the busy person because they're the ones who are getting stuff done. And so I started hanging out with people who were, you know, just helping to do so much in the city from the Chamber of Commerce, the Boys and Girls Club boards and all these different boards that um, that contribute to the city. They take care of our kids. They take care of our families. They take care of the the less fortunate. And so I just kind of started on one thing with the Boys and Girls Club, and and then I wound up on the chamber board, and I became chairman of the board of that, and I became president of the Boys and Girls Club. I met my wife, and um, that first year, I was president, I was chairman of the board of the Chamber of Commerce, so we had a lot of really romantic dates at, you know, sundowners <laughs> and, and dinners with 200 other people. Yeah, yeah. I was just dragging her everywhere, because okay. that was the job. We were always doing stuff, but but she was great, and um she she enjoyed doing that so you know she still gets dragged everywhere and now she feels like she's running for city council as well cuz Of course you know, she is. It, it, of course it she is. Her so much but
0: So how much of that that experience when you were uh, when you did the interview with your guy um, you know your raider I don't even want to mention his name cuz he's a raider um, but you you had the interview with him, and it was a big letdown. It was like, I don't want to get close. How much of that did that affect you and say, like, as I'm going forward, I mean, because I've watched Phil, and Phil from a distance and Phil close up, Phil close up is better than Phil from a distance, but Phil from a distance is awesome. Okay. So when you get closer and closer to you, and I've noticed this over time, the closer and closer you get to you, the better and better view you get, and that's not often. Was that conscious at 18 that you started to say, okay, th- I'm going to make a difference? difference that way it wasn't it wasn't so you it were still you were still all. kind of a bonehead i, was, at, I, I okay. was a
1: kid thinking this is so cool i get to go to angels games i get to go to dodgers games i got to go to the world series you did which dodgers world series the, uh, 75 75 okay maybe? all right but if you remember um oh well i, I probably I, I this is yours on so uh, your podcast so i think i could probably say you, you can say whatever you want you remember when uh billy martin was talking about I think it was Reggie Jackson, right? Because uh-huh. they, you know, they were always on and off again. Yeah, and uh, he was at home plate, if I remember correctly. And um, I was there, and he said, "You know, he can kiss my dago." <laughs> and I <was> like, Whoa! <laughs> so you know, I got to meet Tommy Lasorda. Tommy, really? no, now Tommy Lasorda didn't know me. I was just a nobody. I mean, but you me. got to meet him. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did. In, you, I'd interview go. did yeah. you interview him and stuff.
0: Did you interview him? I asked him questions. Time? and yeah.
1: stuff like that. I interviewed Vita Blue once. No oh,
0: way! Boy. I met Vita Blue.
1: Yeah, I, yeah.
0: I met Vita Blue in Santa Barbara.
1: I hope you didn't mention my name. Uh, <laughs> he didn't like you. Oh, uh, it was one. You know, it was one of those learning moments. Of, you know, I'm an 18 year old kid, a 19 year old kid, and my buddies are all working at self serve gas stations and stuff like that. But you know, I'm a sports editor. I got yes! my name on. In, so um, I get him a couple of tickets to see the game, and then I got him a couple of passes. To go, uh, your friends or Vita Blue. Your friends, your friends, okay. To go into the clubhouse afterward, okay. And so Vita Blue's pitching, and he's pitching, fabulous. He just sh- shuts down the Angels. Yeah. Um, and you remember Charlie Finley was the owner. Well, Charlie Finley was the cheapest guy in sports, and so he was having uh, contract issues with with um, Charlie Finley. So. I go down and I get my friends' passes so they can go into the locker room with me. And I ask Vita Blue, um, and nobody else is there yet. Because so I'm I'm just this kid reporter and nobody's there. Vita Blue just gets done. He pitches this great game and I say, Vida, how about your problem contract problems with Charlie Finley? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was a pretty stupid question. <laughs>
0: That's yes, that's a good question though. What did he say? Oh, was no, he just no, mad? No, no, no. Did he answer? Oh, he's
1: like, "Oh man, how long you been writing?" That's a bush question, <laughs> and he just. Lit. And I'm like, "Oh." And about then, all the like the real writers, the the older guys who knew what they were doing, are starting to come around, and he is just. reaming me, my friends. It was like one of the highlights of their lives watching me. Get reamed by Vita Blue. I mean, they were just, they were just laughing so hard. And I'm try to change the subject. Oh, it looked like Curve was going really well. You know, it's like, oh, he just went on and on and on. It's like, oh. So I learned from that. You never ask that question, right? You don't ask that question up front.
0: You can, you can, you can work, you into, work it. into
1: it. Work into it. You can work just into like it. Just like on your podcast, you don't ask somebody a question like, you know. <laughs> Real tough one. You build that <laughs> rapport with them. You ask them the easy stuff. We work to that. So yeah. it was a learning experience.
0: Okay. But. So you go from that. I mean, this uh, your your career. Where does it go from that point? Because at 18 years old, you're doing these things. I would think that I would be talking to Phil, the Sports Center uh, uh, analyst, right now. Yeah.
1: You know, and it was certainly one of uh, that was my goal. I was sure that's what my world was going to be. That's okay. what I wanted to do. I wanted to write sports. Yeah. Uh, I grew up. Um, reading the L.A. Times and Jim Murray he was my hero, and uh, and then the we got a new publisher at the newspaper, and you know things were different, and, and that that's what happened. Okay. It was a whole different world, and um, it just wasn't as inspiring and fun to be there anymore. Uh, and a buddy of mine had uh, he was in the circulation department, but he had taken a job at a company in Encinitas, North Coast Publishers. Okay. And they were looking for a sports editor. So he called me up. They produced little papers. You know, used to have these little local papers. Yeah. They don't exist anymore in, in today's online world. Um, but they produced the Delmar Surfcomer, the Encinitas Coast Dispatch, the Carlsbad Journal, you know, these little local papers in each community. Yeah. Uh, and so I, took a, I, was a, I, I got the job as a sports editor of the Coast Dispatch which was um, Encinitas, Solana Beach, Rancho, Santa Fe, Cardiff. Um, Encinitas wasn't a city at the time. And so I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, I moved out of Del Mar as a reporter editor there. And then I moved to Carlsbad, where I was the uh, managing editor of the Carlsbad Journal. And um, enjoyed doing that. And then, you know, I, was, I became a Rotarian uh, I went through this program called uh, Leadership 2000. They were trying to train 2,000 leaders by the year 2000, which wow. seemed so quite back. Yeah, then. yeah. Like, oh, that's so far away. Um, and and then um, uh, a woman who had joined our Rotary Club, or she had come to speak. I don't. She hadn't joined yet. She had come to speak, and she was the uh, president of Daniel's Cablevision here in Carlsbad, which served seven North County cities or six six. North County cities in uh, in the county. Um, And she was looking for a community affairs person, government affairs person. And she had come to Rotary, and she asked a few people, and said, well, you should talk to Phil. And so I talked to her, uh, and I accepted a job over there, and it was just a great, great company. Uh, Bill Daniels, the owner, he was known as the father of cable TV. He was a, a... he was a part owner of the Lakers. He had his own jet with the Lakers logo on it, which you can see in, in Terminal C at the Denver airport. Uh, just a great man. And uh, I was in charge of uh, community and government affairs. So I'd, I'd negotiate franchises and ordinance with the cities and kind of be the liaison, but I also did community affairs. So you know, one Saturday morning, I come home from my bike ride, and I get a mess, I message on the phone. Phil, this is Bill. I'm at the beach house. Call me. And it's like, oh Do we have any outages last night? No. You sure? Yeah. All right, cause you never knew what Bill was. Uh, he was a perfectionist, but he was uh, he he. The best was good enough for him. Was one of his sayings. And he call I call him up, and he says, "Phil, did you read the paper this morning?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Did you see the article about uh, the Mexican man whose wife had died?" And I said, "Yes, I did." And he uh, and and the story was uh, there was a um, Mexican um, laborer. And his wife had died, and, and he had like three or four kids under the age of eight or ten. Yeah. And, you know, here's this guy, and they just happened to do a story on him. And he, he, uh, uh, he had to pay for a funeral, and then he had to pay to get the body back to Mexico. And uh, Bill said, I want, you to go, I want you to go find him and tell him that the associates of Daniel's Cablevision are going to pay for all his expenses. And so that's how I spent that Saturday going, and I had to call the reporter, and I went over, and I find this guy, and and he doesn't speak English, and I speak very little Spanish. So that was a struggle, but the reporter came with me, and we wound up uh, paying for all that stuff, Uh, we being, you know, Daniels, and Mm -hmm. Bill did that, and he was just an incredible man, and and, uh, he gave away so much money. When he passed away, he was... Was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars, and he didn't have any biological children, and so he started the Daniels Fund. Uh, He donated it all to the Daniels Fund. I mean, he took care of people who were close to him. Yeah, but he also uh, the vast bulk of it went to the Daniels Fund, and it's still it's based in um, Denver because Bill was one of his home hometowns was kind of Denver. Yeah, and uh, to help people who were less fortunate. Goes on today, uh, and he still does. You know, he, he's still giving, and that's the kind of guy Bill was. And he was he was he was friends of presidents. You'd go into his office, and he'd have pictures of you know Ronald Reagan and Gerald Ford. And at his memorial service, he had one in Denver, one in New Mexico, and one in Carlsbad. And it was at our facility right there on El Camino Real and and um, Faraday. And Gerald Ford. Was coming and so we had the secret service there for a week checking out everything and i was the government affairs guy so i was kind of the liaison with them and um so we we erected like a big circus type tent in the back parking lot and we had a few hundred people there for this service And my job that day you know we we had i had a cell phone it was old cell phone at that time you know yeah star tech flip phone you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it worked most of the time, but, and my job was to call in the Navy um, uh, flight, flyover. It was pretty cool, and we had uh, we had uh, an honor guard there, and I had coordinated all that, and so when we came out, uh, and it was late, we were like a half hour late, and uh, we're running way behind, and president's going the, the president of the company is, is talking and and i'm like we're way behind we got jets up in the air you know we got to do something so i'm sneaking around the back and I'm, I'm trying to get into the back just to catch his attention say hey you know we got to worry about this but uh, and and as it turns out as i'm there i'm like oh my gosh there are secret service agents all over the place here looking for people trying to sneak in <laughs> do something I'm like maybe i'll not do this or something well, we were like a half hour late from the time that we had given the, uh, the Navy for the flyover. Bill had, um, as he said, had a cup of coffee with the Blue Angels back then. So the Blue Angels were going to do a flyover. Actually, it wasn't the Blue Angels, but it was some Navy jets. And, uh, and so I got out, and I said, you know, we're ready for the jets in seven minutes. And they weren't off by six seconds. I mean, it was just, Really? Yeah. So it was fun. Bill was, Bill was you know, my lifetime hero. Yeah, just a great, great, great man, and I have a quote from him that I that I have on my emails, that uh, part of my email signature and stuff, and um, you know, he he's ha- he had a great impact on me because part of my job was to give away his money and to support other organizations. So I was community and government affairs director, and so part of my job was to be involved in the community. Yeah, and so you know, if the boys, if I, if I was president of the Boys and Girls Club, and we had a meeting at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm gone. That was work for me, so it was okay to to do all these things. I was part of my job, and um, so that that had another great impact on me. Just being able to be fortunate enough to have the time and the support to do that. So you know, the companies, okay, we need to buy a table at the Boys and Girls Club auction. We would do that or that type of a thing.
0: So your job was to give away this dude's money. Yeah. That sounds like my brother's job in my life. He, he uh, called, I go call him for business uh, advice and he'll be like, it ain't that much money. You just need to go do it. He's like, and then he ends the conversation always with, it is so great to spend your money. Yeah. So I, I think that's amazing. So I think there's a lot of times people, and I hear this all the time where a person will be, um, be working hard and then they'll get an opportunity for leadership and they'll be like, no, 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 that's not me. You did the exact opposite. It seems like your whole life uh, prepared you for leadership. Why is leadership so important to you? Because I see you, you're, you're not only, uh, you know, the, the 2000 before 2000, those things, but you're also giving back to, you know, I was around you when you were spending time with high school kids, teaching them leadership. You know, why is leadership so important to you?
1: Well, first off, I got to correct you. This is not something that I was just doing and doing and doing. There were a couple of steps in there, and we've talked about them. Um, But when I started hanging around, people started saying, hey, Phil, join the Boys and Girls Club, boy. join the chamber board or something. And I was dealing with – I was young –
0: what do you say to the people though that, you know, because I remember people telling me about the Chamber of Commerce. The only thing I ever heard about the Chamber of Commerce was the Beverly Hillbillies. And they, <laughs> they were always talking about the Chamber. And I was like, what is this chamber? And I thought like a chamber. I know Wu Tang clan, 36 chambers, but I didn't understand this chamber. Was it this, 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 you know, and then they talk about like the rotary. Uh, and as a young kid, not knowing anything about it, you think like these guys are the ones that are the Illuminati. They're <laughs> sacrificing goats. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, like, speak to those people, especially the young people, because I wish at 25, I would have got involved with the Rotary. I wish I would have got involved with the Chamber of Commerce, because it is the single greatest way and easiest way to be able to build your business. Uh,
1: absolutely. And that's the whole purpose of the Chamber of Commerce. And I, and I can't say, you know, I was with the Carlsbad Journal, and and we were members of the Chamber of Commerce. I was also uh, an editor, so I had to be careful that I wasn't, you know, I could promote some things, but I, you know, I I, I couldn't get political at that time. Except we were writing editorials, type of thing. But um, what I what I found was through Rotary and through all these things, I was hanging around with some pretty people that I just thought were amazing. And they were great, you know, I had the utmost respect, and you know, they were kind of like the leaders in town. And then I was asked to, um, I was invited to to join this group called Leadership 2000. And it, it was a leadership development program. It was a six-week program, I believe, four hours a week, every Thursday morning. It was taught by, it was founded by Fran Elshire, who was uh, this tiny little woman about five feet tall, and um, just amazing, brilliant. And uh, she was a PhD do- uh, doctor of education, if I remember correctly. Her husband was Frank Alshire who was the city manager for the city of Carlsbad. Uh, great guy, I love Frank. He was also in my Rotary Club at the time. And um, it was also started by General Mark Moore, who was a retired Marine general. And they put us through this six-week program on leadership development. And they gave us some tools on how to run a meeting and, and um, you know where to sit people, even, in your meetings and things. So. Um, you know, honestly, from that, it just gave me that little bit of confidence that when um, Greg Nelson said, "Phil, you need to you need to be the president of the Boys and Girls Club," that I said, "Okay," with trepidation. But I said, "Okay." Greg Nelson was a hard is a hard man to say no to uh, because he's done so much for the Boys and Girls Club over the years. And then I felt like I did okay. And then next thing you know, it's like, all right, now the Chamber of Commerce, chairman of the board of that. And, and I found that um, you know, people kept asking me to be on different boards. And then I w- I'd wind up being you know, the president. I, I got asked to join the Christmas Bureau board. And they were in total disarray. And they, we didn't even know who their board members were. They, they had less than $20 in the checking account. And they uh, went out and they asked me and Julie Nygaard and and a few other people to join their board. And uh, it was interesting. Um, I had been involved with them before because I was working for the cable company. And I had access to a fleet of vehicles, trucks, and people. And so what I found was that they wanted, um, they would give out their stuff on a Saturday and, but they wanted some help on Friday. And so Friday afternoon, I'd grab six or eight trucks and people, and we would go take some of that stuff and deliver it to people. And all my people loved it. We just had a great time. And sometimes if the people weren't there, I was like, all right, well, they'll come pick it up Saturday. And, and I didn't know why some people they wanted to deliver to, and some people they didn't. Um, but as it turned out, when I got involved on the board level, What they were doing at the time was uh, a Toys for Tots drive and a food drive. They'd have food containers all throughout town and people would donate. They'd donate toys and they'd donate food. And then they would take and they'd put it all together and they'd make up a box for, you know, the Cardenas family with two kids, eight and ten, you know, a boy and a girl and, you know, that type of thing. But some people would say, you know what, give me the whole family and we'll just take care of it. And so those people, would go out and they would shop for the whole family, buy them food, buy them gifts. And when that, when those people did that, um, they would come, instead of having a little box with a couple of toys and, and you know a couple of cans of beans and stuff, they, they would get like five boxes, ten boxes, and a bike and all this stuff. And so they didn't want those people getting all this stuff to be in line and to pick up their stuff at the same time with somebody else that had just a uh, little
0: bit. Okay.
1: And so I looked at this, and I'm like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. Those people who will get their more work, because you got to sort through all that stuff and put it all together, and they get less, and these people over here, who are kind of like adopted, they get more, and they're less work. Yeah, like, well, let's turn this around. And so the next year, um, I became president, we changed the name, from the Carlsbad Christmas Bureau to the G- Carlsbad Christmas Bureau adopt a family project mm-hmm. and we worked at being the uh, the, the, the go between if you will, the matchmaker between businesses and families and cheerleader groups and schools to go out and adopt families and then they would bring them to us they would bring all that stuff to us, and then we would give it out because we wanted to protect the, protect still protect the confidentiality of uh, the families mm mm-hmm. Uh, less fortunate families, and then uh, at the time, every year we're, we're in September looking for a place that's that's empty that we can use as a warehouse, and I was on the Boys and Girls Club board, and I was talking to the executive director, and he said, well, I want to choose our gym. So we've been using the gym for, since then. We go in and we put a floor down uh, of cardboard, and we bring 100 tables in, and we fill that gym with toys and gifts and food um, and the cars come up, and we take care of four or five hundred families. Uh, and I was pretty proud of that. I spent 20 years as president of that before, you know, I said, okay, eh, time for new blood. But
0: So help us to understand uh, because the, the normal person, I mean, the, the normal person out there, the normal voter, doesn't get into, um, doesn't get to hear that story, okay? Doesn't get to hear the story of, you, I mean, you literally thought about that as a business. You said, here's the fat. Let's cut away the fat. This doesn't make any sense. The frustration, I think, from a lot of times from a a, a voter who doesn't understand or doesn't do that much research because they're living their life, there's blind spots that a voter has, right? And a lot of times a person will feel that, well, you you know, I'm just paying these high taxes and where's all the money going? People are just, you know, not either – not doing the job at the highest level or maybe not being as efficient. What are some of the blind spots that you can help us to be able to see? Because when I hear something like that, I'm like, well, yes, I would like to go through every situation in, uh, in government and have somebody that is able to do that.
1: Well, um, I I consider myself a problem solver. Okay. I, I look at things and say, how can they be better? Got it. I don't know why. It's, okay. it's just the way I'm I'm wired. I know you do that too. Yep. You look at your company and say, what's the system that we need to impart to make this company run better so we can cut hair efficiently and do a great job, and make sure our customers are happy. Um, so I, I, I've just always been that way and I'm not afraid to ask why. Well, couldn't we do this better? What if we tried this? Hmm. What about this? Um, and so I just look at things and say... Why can't we, be- we better be better? What, what can we do to, to make that more efficient? And um, so I've had, you know, numerous exp- experiences like that in business. And with the uh, Lacasta Youth Organization, we had, uh, I was president. I had been president for probably three months, and I was at a soccer match when I get a call from our treasurer. And he says, Phil? The company that's taking our registrations isn't paying us. So this was er, this was like the first year we were using online payments. And what, what happened was people would register online, they'd pay their you know, $200 registration fee, and all $200 would go to another company. And then they would pay us back, they would take their $10 and they'd pay us mm-hmm. back $190. In retrospect, it sounds pretty darn ridiculous, but at the time, at the time absolutely, kinda, you know, I did Nowadays, you know, you take yours and they get their piece, but but so they had all our money, and then they ran into problems and they weren't paying us. So we had like um, we're getting re- we're a couple months away from the season starting. This is probably in October, I'm gonna say, and the season starts March first, and um, and we had no money. They had two hundred thousand dollars, probably close to two hundred thousand dollars in that, and um, we're just like and they, they wound up going bankrupt. We didn't get any money from them, and we just had to figure out how to solve that problem. Just had to eat it. No, yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, we had a team that did a great job, and um, we met every week to figure out what we were doing. And some people, we were. um, Some people said, "No worries, I'll just go pay it," Uh, and and they just signed their kids up again. What we somebody had suggested, and and um, I like to encourage ideas. I like to, you know, it's a group, I, I'm a group kind of guy. Let's get the, you know, it's not my idea, your idea. Let's work together to find the best idea. So um, we had suggested to people that they go to their credit card company and say, you know, their kid's not registered, so they didn't get what they were supposed to, so they wanted credit back. Uh, and it was a weird thing, but a lot of them were able to get the credit back, and some weren't, weren't able to. They said, nope, can't do it. Oh, we had one guy, he had four kids. He, he called up, he got credit for two of them. He call, talked to somebody else on the next one, didn't get credit for the other two. Some people just said, no worries, we'll, we'll write the check. Other people, when they got their credit, they wrote the check back. I thought, well, okay, you know, each year we've got new uniforms for the kids. What if we took and um, just recycled some uniforms? Because when I was playing Little League, we used the same uniform. We, we didn't get to keep our uniforms. Uh, we turned it in at the end of the season, and I had been coaching these kids. I, I was the manager, I was president of the league, and so I told, I sent an email out to the parents from the team I had coached, my son's team that I had coached the year before, and I said, "Look, we're in this situation. I, I'd like to reuse the, the um, jerseys, and can I can I have your son's jersey back?" And I, you know, I was pretty naive. I thought, you know what, in 24 hours they're all going to be on my doorstep because those people. They're, they're grateful you know, to me for coaching their kids, and they'll be there. <laughs> that wasn't the case at all. No, I'm making blankets out of mine. No, I keep my sons this and that. I was like, wow. Only, I'm going to say one or two people suggested wow. that they would give them back, uh, which okay, that was a dose of reality You learn, yeah. But, um, you know, for, for me, it's always asking questions. Okay. How can we be better? Um, how can we do things more efficiently? How can we do things more uh, efficiently fi- financially. Yeah. Uh, my wife, we've been married 25 years, and she has trained me. I'm a frugal guy now. I used to not be so frugal, but I'm a frugal guy. And so when I've been in charge of budgets for the Christmas Bureau or Lacoste Youth Organization or my church or Rotary the Chamber, Oktoberfest or something, I'm pretty paranoid. I want everybody to know... I want to make sure we have those checks and balances so everybody knows exactly, you know, anytime I'm touching money that we've, we're, we're secure and we're safe. And, okay. and that we're going to use that money efficiently. Those people are putting our, their faith in us to manage that money and to not waste it. And uh, I take that person pretty res- seriously. And so uh, from a city perspective, I think that it's incumbent upon the city to use taxpayers, all government, but in particularly we we're talking about the city here, to use taxpayers' money wisely. And there are ways to do that, and there are ways to not do it. You know, we need our police and fire. We need to have the best police and fire services that we possibly can. number one job of the city is to protect us. And so in terms you know, we need to make sure we have the right number of police and firefighters. Okay. We need to make sure we give them the technology, you know, the license plate readers that um, came in a few years ago that they installed, uh, have been amazing in terms of being able to uh, find people. A car goes past, and it clicks because there's this license plate. Somebody's wanted on that license plate, and so the the police get a heads up. There's a car driving north on El Camino Real, and and it's a stolen vehicle. Let's go find it. And so they do. So we need to make sure that's taken care of. Uh We need to make sure, uh, you know, we have great parks and great libraries carlsbad always had the best libraries um, because I, I don't know it was back in the 50s or 60s the the city decided the county wasn't doing a good enough job for the libraries and so they said well we're going to take over the libraries ourselves so we pay money to the county for libraries but the city has its own libraries takes care and they're they're just better frankly we're we're, we're far better served, and we've got great parks we had the growth management program in, it was passed in the 80s, uh-huh. and it managed growth, and it said, you know, before we go ahead and build these thousand homes here, we've got to have enough park space. We've got to have enough uh, library space. We have to have enough this, enough that, and, you know, we want to make sure we had, you know, regional parks in each quadrant, and, uh, and so Carlsbad's been built out very, very wisely and efficiently, mm-hmm. and... Mostly, uh, you know, all our roads and the big roads have been paid for by developers. And and, you know, as as the city developed, and I think we need to make sure we continue. You know, we're we're getting closer and closer to build out. Mm -hmm. I don't know how where that is now. At one point, the city said, you know, the growth management plan said it was going to be at like 135,000, and then the way the city had built. It was like, well, it's not actually going to get there just because some places that you could have built 100 homes, have only built 80, and so it was going to be less than that. Uh, but in the last couple of years, uh, the state has come around and said, "Well, we need more affordable housing. So how are we going to get that?" Well, we you ain't going to get that. affordable housing in Carlsbad. <laughs> That's right. You ain't going
0: to affordable housing. You you know.
1: Know, so, but they've passed laws that say, you know, they're taking away local control. Okay, we can't as a city, any city in the state, any longer. Yeah. Can basically have a housing cap. You can't say, well, the most houses we're going to have is 135,000. Wow. You can't do that. Um, they want uh, increased density. Right? Um, they want, uh, there's proposals to increase density, um, especially near transit stations, where now they say, you know, if if the city code right now says you can build four stories, state says, oh, you got to go up 20%. They can build five now. The city can't control that any longer. They say, you know, you know, used to be the SANDAG would say, well, you know, Carlsbad should build another three thousand homes here. It's what they need. They need three thousand mm-hmm. homes per year. And now they're saying, no, no, no. Not only do you have to build them, you know, not not only do you have to have space for them, um, but but if you if you if they don't build them, you're you're in trouble, right? I, I'm a marketplace guy. Yeah. You want to in you want to. Um, you want to provide for more affordable housing? I got the way to do that. Let's reduce bureaucratic red tape. Let's reduce some of these things that just cost so much of a home, OK? So uh, I think the study, I want to say it was from Point alone, I could be wrong. But essentially, the study said you know 40% of a new house today is all of the regulations and red tape and all the stuff. Wow. That it is not for people. It is not for the workers. It's not for the materials. It's for all of that. I'll give you an example. Um, last year, there was a uh, development proposed in La Costa area. It was, I want to say, 23, 24 condos. And... Um, and, and so when it came to the city council, there was some concern that there wasn't enough parking. And, of course, the neighbors didn't want there wasn't enough on-site parking. The neighbors didn't want everybody parking on the street type of a thing. So some of the neighbors were unhappy about it. And stuff. So um, it, they the, the, the council was um, concerned, a couple of members of the council. And so the developer was kind of pushed in and forced and said, okay, all right, I'll I'll do this. He wasn't required to do a CEQA report, California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, uh, California Environmental Quality, but um, this report was going to cost a million dollars for that development. Now... You don't have to be a mathematician to pull out your smartphone and take that million and divide it among twenty-two, 22 or yeah. twenty-three or twenty-four homes, and I, I don't remember exactly. I the number that came out was like it's forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand
0: dollars place, yeah,
1: right. Yep, for that, and it wasn't even required. But he was wow. pushed. The developer was pushed into doing that. So now we're sitting here talking about we need more affordable housing. Well. Let's reduce some of those restrictions. Let's speed the process. I'm a marketplace guy. Yeah. You know, Sandegg says, uh, and I get it, you know, there's no doubt we need more affordable housing. We need more, ho- and, and, you know, it's supply and demand world, so more housing, you know. Might become more affordable. Hopefully, theoretically. I don't
0: know. that It'll become more affordable. People ask me this all the time. They're like, uh, "What's your justification for living living in Carlsbad?" I'm like, "Because I want to." It's, it's You can't justify it. You can't. Ju- I lived in Las Vegas. You can't justify the same home, uh, 300 miles away, costing three times as much. Although I like it here, and that's the only reason why people live here. And if it was, if this place sucked, then it would be cheap. And my friends tell me all the time, they're like one girl was like, oh, this is so expensive here in San Diego, in North County, San Diego. I can go back to Green Bay and get this. And I'm like, because no one wants <laughs> to live there. Like, uh, shout out to my Green Bay folks. But honestly, like who wants to live in the Arctic winter? You have perfect weather here. You have the greatest pocket, I believe, in the history, in, in all of North America, here in North County. Although I shouldn't be saying that because people want to move here. But... Phil, honestly, if they build more houses, they're just going to be just as expensive as the rest unless we can do something like what you were talking about. So being a regimented person like yourself and looking at these systems – How how does that translate into your marriage? Are you able to be like, hey, baby, Uh, (laughs) you come home and you're like, I see that we had 16 boxes of Cheez-Its. If we could just break that down, does this work when when, when you're dealing with your wife? Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) So you have to change the hat. You have to go out of Councilman uh, Phil... Into don't, don't, don't tell my wife, okay. but
1: she's a little bit of a hoarder herself. I'm like, honey, can we get rid of this? You know, I mean, it's nice to have a few of these little coupons that you have, you know, the coupons on the that you save for the schools and stuff, yeah. or, or the, the bread little plastic. I'm like, well, just in case we need one. I'm like, yeah, that might happen now and again, but do we need 200? We might need four or five would be good. You know, that might.
0: When has this backfired for you? You, you utilize it because you're an efficiency guy. I love this because I'm an efficiency coach in not only the professional beauty industry, but for industries everywhere. So what I do is I go in and I spend time with the company and literally like what you're talking about, I look at it and and this is a simple way, but I look at it and say, that's dumb. Uh, that's expensive. Let's do it this way. Let's get to the quickest way. And we're dealing with efficiency um, right now. When have you ever gone home and looked at your place, and gone into Councilman Phil, and started getting efficient, the and then your wife was like, Erk! "Um, you know, it was like, tell us about something like that. Oh,
1: uh, yeah, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. My wife, um, my wife grew up on a farm in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and so she's the one who trained me to be frugal. Okay. Uh, and she is a real, um, she's a great problem solver. She's the behind, when we were at the Christmas Bureau, she was on the board for 20 years, She she handled the detail aspect of, of assigning families to certain, to the group. So if you said, hey, you want one, and, and you're looking for, you know, you got an 8- and a 10-year-old kid, you want an 8- and a 10-year-old kid so that they can buy for, you know, your 8-year-old can buy for another 8-year-old kid, and you can teach them. My wife would work on that and stuff. She's the detail person, the behind-the-scenes, She was great at that. Um, she has amazing common sense. So most of the time... Uh, if something comes up and she says, "Well, why don't you do it this way?" I'm like, "Honey, I got this. I know what I'm doing." You know what? Like, and then man. and then sometimes it's like five minutes later, like, oh, ding, or maybe it's the next next day. It's like oh, she was right. She was right. Like, all right, you know. And I, I always tell people, you know, my wife's always right. And somebody goes, "Oh yeah, my wife thinks she's always right too." And I'm like, "No, no, no. My wife is always right. <laughs> <laughs> she is. It's pretty it's annoying sometimes, but you know. And you think I'd learn, but." You
0: know. So the hot button that uh, that my wife would be mad at me if I didn't ask because when you're talking about policies, you're talking about the city, things like that. Um, there was a thing, I think it was probably two or three years ago, and she is not a political person at all, but she was like wanting to drive banners up and down the street. She wanted to post things in the yard. She wanted to stand on a soapbox, and that was to get – this would have helped my uh, marriage too, Phil, is to get Nordstrom's and that that setup. <laughs> Here, for the normal person that was just like, honestly, like, for me, I, I, I wanted it, right? I thought that would have been great, be able to go by the lagoon, be able to do those kind of things. Take us into the normal, like, because we as just normal people, we have blind spots. You see the whole picture. Why couldn't we get the, I mean, that was basically the grove from LA and it was going to be here and it was going to be on a higher level and it was going to create, I mean, amazing things. He was going to pay for, uh, for the, the roads. Why doesn't something like that from a common sense standpoint, me saying, wow, okay, there's going to be jobs there. There's going to be great uh, community. There's going to be restaurants. We're going to enjoy the lagoon. Why doesn't something like that happen?
1: Because, um, our governmental policies have been written. To, in some ways, protect the people. Now, they can be very difficult. Okay. And they don't always work that way, but there are certain mechanisms. Okay? And what happened there was, if you get enough signatures, you can put it on the ballot. Now, the city council had approved that development, but there were enough citizens who were opposed to it and said, this is kind of a big issue. We want to vote on it. And you can't vote on every little thing that's why you elect your representatives to vote for you we live in a representative government not just here in carlsbad but you know we elect st- senators and assembly people to vote for us for san diego county and we elect senators and congress people to to vote for us in, in washington but when some of those big things come up you say okay they can force an election we can do that with propositions here Mm -hmm. And in this case, that was essentially, it was a proposition. And so there were enough people who were not happy with that. And so they voted and it was voted down in a very close election, but it was voted down. I look at that and say, well, the system worked, right? One way or the other, the system worked. So... um,
0: my wife is still mad. Yeah, totally. She doesn't want to have to drive all the way down into San... Like, if you live if you live in North County, those of you listening all over the world, North County is not that far from San Diego. It's not. But for us, North County people, it is like driving to Mars to go to San Diego. And San Diego, the same way. That's why I think that Carlsbad's so great, because it's this bubble. And it, honestly, is the greatest community I've never, ever, ever ever been in a community where people are so genuinely nice like that they say hello to you and they actually care we had so many people fill stop by our house within the first like two hours of us moving into our house and they kept knocking on the door and i was from vegas and if somebody knocks on your door like what you got a problem here and they were dropping things off bottles of wine like fresh cooked cookies, uh, beer, bread, And I was free. I was like, are we getting punked here? Like Carlsbad truly is that. I think that preparation, my dad always said it preparation, uh, meeting opportunity equals success. Awesome. And I think that for you, I I'm, I'm hearing all these things of like your preparation leading up to, you know, leading up to this situation of, you know, uh, the election. Now your preparation has created the success that's eminent, um, because the opportunity is going to come, right? You've been serving the community for 40 years. Um, in a sense, you're not going to be doing anything different if you get elected. You're going to be doing all the same things that you were doing before.
1: Sure. Yeah. When um, when uh, my wife and I got married, I was pre- I was I had just finished being president of the Chamber of Commerce. I was, chairman of the, I was chairman of the board of the Chamber of Commerce. I had just finished being president of the Boys and Girls Club, and I was really in, involved in... Big stuff, the Christmas bureau type. Uh, we became involved in that, and then when we had children, now all of a sudden I kind of pulled in from my Carlsbad wide stuff and put some of my efforts into my kids. Okay, okay. So I started coaching their team. I was coaching my daughter's t-ball team, and the woman who was in charge and says, "Well, we need you to be t-ball director next year." I was, ah. You know, so I became the T ball director. How
0: are you able to do this when you got a job? Like most people (laughs) that's what people are saying is like, okay, so Phil is the president of every community organization in the in the community everywhere. How are you able to do this and and keep your marriage because you've been married for twenty five years? You've got kids, so you gotta be dad, and you've got a job because you can't have you can't not have a job and live in Carlsbad. I mean, you got to have a good job living Carlsbad. <laughs> you know what I mean. And so, job, presidents, dad, husband, and then you got to do a little something for Phil.
1: Yeah, yep. How are you able to do all that? Um, I don't know. People ask me that all the time. You, you just do something needs to be done. You just get it done. Okay. Uh-huh. And you know, maybe it's at three o'clock in the morning. Sometimes when you wake up and like, well, you know what, I got to do this here. Or, um, you just do it. And, you know, it took me a long time to learn how to say no. And I finally learned this from somebody else. They said, you know, I can only do so many things well. And so I I, I said, okay, I can only serve on three boards at a time kind of a thing. I can. And and so I've had people say, Hey, Phil, why don't you, you know, we'd love to have you on our board. I'm like, sorry, you know, if I, if I joined your board, I wouldn't be, be able to do a good job for you. And I wouldn't be able to do a good job for the boards I'm already on. So I had Bobby Hoder. She she actually uh, worked for the city. She's retired now. And she called me up, I don't know, four or five years ago, and she said, Phil, we'd love to get you on the hospice of the North Coast Board. Well, the people on the board are people I know, Ray Pachette, former city manager, and, and, you know, great group of people. But I, I, I said, Bobby, I can't. I, I'm doing too many things. But you know what? You know who would be really good? My wife. I said, you should... You should recruit my wife. She'd be great. You, you, She's going to be on that board. You'd be so happy. And a year from now, you're going to say, man, I'm sure glad Phil didn't want to get on this board because Kathy's way better than me. And so I introduced her to my wife. They talked, and she talked to a few people. And she's been on that board. And they do amazing things. My mother passed away last year, and we used hospice to the North Coast. And gosh, they were just so great. Um, just loved them. And uh, so she does that, you know. I, I do what I can, and I do have to limit myself sometimes. So when my kids were young, I started coaching their teams, and it's like, all right, I'm going to coach their teams now. And so, the thi- so I put my time into them because I wanted to, I wanted to be uh, the dad that I didn't have, to be honest with you. you know? I wanted to be at all their games, and that was my time to spend with them. And so I did. I coached all their teams. My wife was the team mom. She was the t- the, the class mom. I became president of the league. I coached, the, I, I coached probably 25, maybe 30 baseball, soccer, and softball teams, all-star teams, travel teams. And it was all that time I got to spend with my kids. And, you know, when you're a parent, man, you know, the days are long, but the years are short. And... You know, my kids, my daughter just graduated from college last year. My son is a junior at Santa Clara University, and you never get that time back. So I started, you know, that's where I put my time is working with them. And then uh, this past this past summer, um, no, yeah, it was last summer, I guess. Was it last summer? I don't know. We were down in Cabo. Um, or was it Christmas? It was at, actually no, at Christmas, I think. And... Um, uh, her, we went with my daughter's boyfriend's family and um and so he wanted to have a conversation oh. with us and, you know we, they're very great family they okay. they live in nebraska in the in the omaha area so my daughter's near there cuz she stayed there that she I said a, ooh cuz it's your, still your daughter though
0: you know what i mean i don't care how good right I don't care how good he is.
1: So he wants to have a conversation, and I knew this was coming, and they'd been dating for three years. He's a great kid. We knew his family. We'd go to church with them. Okay. Just a great kid. Um, and so he asked for my bless, our blessing, and, and, and we gave it to him. And, and then First
0: thought, though, like first thought as a dad, you want to choke him? <laughs>
1: no. Because
0: <no, no. laughs> for right dad. now, I mean, I haven't, you're a good guy. But I'm telling you, I'm still at the point where a boy, I don't care how long they've been with him, I don't how, care how good they were, I'd want to choke him first, and then I would just ease into it and be like, this is the best thing for you. But I'd want to choke him. So you didn't want to choke him at all. Nah, no, nah, not he was even a good kid. Not even with one hand.
1: But I, I wanted a commitment.
0: Ah. Okay. I
1: wanted a commitment.
0: Did you look him strong? Did you like tell him the circle of trust said, thing?
1: Hey, yeah, pretty much. Okay. When you marry somebody, um you take, I, I told him, when you marry somebody, you take on all of their debts. And it's a big deal. And so my daughter Elizabeth, I said, Elizabeth has some debts that if you get married, you're going to inherit. And he's like, okay, what? I said, you may not know about all of them. He's like, okay. And I told him, I said, look, when my daughter was little, I started coaching her teams. I coached all of her teams, her soccer wow. and her softball teams. And my son did the same thing. My wife would drive them to theater practice. And we went to all their track meets, baseball games, lacrosse, soccer, all of those things. And we tried to do everything we could for them. And, you know, I stopped playing softball and f- with my adult guys after a while because I had spent time wanting to... Sp- it was more important to spend time with them. Wow. So I said we've always told the kids, um, you owe us for that. You all the time and commitment we spent for you, you owe us. And we expect full payment. And the way you pay us back is by <clears throat> excuse me, by doing that for your kids. That's what you gotta do. So I said, Ben, you marry my daughter that's what you owe you owe me that you have to take care of your kids the same way we took care of ours and he said okay so thankfully they're not getting married this year they're getting married next year wow. <laughs> in a post-covid world hopefully yes 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 but um you know it, it's um trying to pass it along and you know sometimes we we we, we have exactly we have great parents mm-hmm. and we're fortunate and sometimes our parents aren't as great as we thought. You know, my, my parents, my dad never played catch with me, didn't do all those things. Well, I was always in the backyard with my son. Wow. So those are just things that, that are, are important. And, you know, you got to make decisions on what's important to you and where you're going to spend your time. And my time was important enough to be able to do that. And so I, I, I love sports. I love parks. I love being on the field. I love being on the pitch. Yeah. So, And and my son was 11 years old, and I was president of La Lacoste Youth Organization, and we had this junior umpire program we would take and train these kids to be umpires. And I thought, man, this is a great program, and I love Bill Kemp. He's a Carl's bad guy here. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, I love the way he does that, and there's so many great things that kids learn. So my son got involved in that, and he did well. And so I said, well, why don't you do soccer? So he started doing that. And so, you know, after when he was like 16, and he was done... Playing, I'm like, what am I going to do on the weekends now? And I, I, he didn't have a license yet, so he would have been 15. I had to take him to umpire school, the annual umpire school. I had to do 24 hours or so of umpire school before he could take the field each year. And so Bill had always said, Phil, you should do this. So I'm like, I got to stay here anyway. So, like, so, I, so I went to umpire school with him. It was far harder than I ever imagined it would be. You know, even when you're doing the little guys, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed it. And so then I decided, well, you know, why not do soccer? And so I started doing soccer uh, as well. Uh, my first day out there, my son was working at, at a different field. I said, why don't you come over? He's 15, 16 at the time. He said, why don't you come over and watch me and tell me, you know, what I can do better. He said, okay. So he comes over, watches for 20 minutes and leaves. I get home. He says, Dad, I got eight things for you to work on. He said, "I'm going to give you two a week, so you don't get overwhelmed." Like, okay, good for him, right? I'm like, he—he he was my mentor, so I, I had to—I had to be comfortable with that. Yeah. And and he was—he was a great mentor, and so we had a lot of fun being able to work together at times and learn from each other and have those conversations.
0: So this is a thing that I do on on every one of the podcasts, and I, I've I asked the uh, you know I asked the people who I get a chance to be able to spend time with. Um, you know their message that they want to send their message that they want to send to um you know either the listeners or if they have specifics i've been getting a little selfish recently and the reason why is because the whole reason for my podcast was to humanize iconic people like yourself, like in our community. I mean, Phil, you know, everybody, you hang out with everybody. If I'm talking about the mayor, you know, the mayor and you hang out with them. Um, we're talking about uh, probably one of the biggest community leaders that's not in a position, which is uh, Jimmy, Ukigawa. Love Jimmy uh He's a phenomenal guy. And, and all these people, like if there's anyone in Carlsbad that is, uh, you know, is making a difference. They're in your circle. And so, iconic people like you, a lot of times people look at it and say, Well, that's Phil, and he's got a silver spoon, or maybe he just is, you know, he's elected into this position, or he's just in this place. But what I wanted to do is have my kids realize that people like you are nothing more than people who do the right thing for the right reason and the right thing happens, and that you're people who happen to be working your passion. You work really, really hard, but at the end of the day, you're, you're a person. And I wanted to help my kids to realize that I wanted to humanize people like you. And so I'm going to ask you to say a message to Maddox and McKenna. McKenna is 11. She is, her spirit is so tremendous. Like she's, I was talking to, um, a uh someone the other day and i was telling them that uh, she's a pitcher actually i was talking with one of the um the cat uh, the catcher for the uh the usa uh softball team so she's on the in the olympics and um when i was talking with her i was telling her that my daughter she was a pitcher and uh one of the kids got hit on third base and or uh, the third baseman went to catch the ball and hit her in the shin, whatever. And my and everything was fine. And then my, wife, my daughter goes back into the pitcher circle, about to do the windup on the mound. She hears the girl start to whimper and start to cry. And my daughter stops the game and walks over to the girl and just gives her a hug. Well, for me, I didn't care that she struck anybody out. That was my proudest dad moment. Um, my little man Maddox is a cartoon character. He's eight years old and he plays football and he does Fortnite and does all this stuff. What would be the message to a Maddox and McKenna? Um, you know, because I look at like a man like yourself and I hear you say that as opposed to wanting to choke this kid that wants to marry your daughter, you're a better than man than me. You tell him that he's got a debt to pay and that debt is to be a great father, to be a great family man. What is the, what's the message that you want to send to Maddox and McKenna?
1: Be a good person. That's it. Just be a good person, do the right thing. Um, I wanted to coach because when I was a kid, my coaches were people I looked up to when I was 10 years old, and they taught me sportsmanship. They taught me how to lose, how to win, how to be a good person, how to practice and work hard and get better. Uh, And I'm a pretty competitive person. So when I was out on the field, I I wanted to win. But um, sometimes I had to remind myself the most important thing was making sure those kids had a good experience and to teach those kids values. That's Mm. what, to me, sports was. And that's why I spent my time coaching because I always felt like, wow, if I can grab this kid and just teach him. He's never going to remember me 20 years from now, and that's okay. Maybe he will. But, you know, I wasn't the best at teaching a kid how to pick up a ground ball. But I was pretty good with my speeches. (laughs) <laughs> Making sure that they had fun, and um, I think most of the parents and most of the kids had a good time with me. Uh, I would say, be a good person, find your passion okay for it's sports. we had uh, my neighbors you know I coached their daughter when they were little and and, and you know she she wasn 't a sports person that 's okay when she got, when, when she got up to La Costa Canyon High School, it turns out Claire loved um Debate team. She found her passion. One of those neighbors became big into dancing, you know, plays, whatever it is. My daughter, you know, she fell in love with the theater. Um, so I think it's it, – it, and the theater and dancing, and, and, and they're teaching the same type of thing. They're teaching responsibility. you got to be ready for your meet, match, competition, whatever it is. You've got to practice. You've got to – you're going to win some. You're going to lose some. How do you do that? Well, be respectful. Um, so I would say find your passion and learn from it. And, and you know, so often we think, oh, you got to do this, this, and that. and this is Be a good person, right? Be a good person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to be proud of your kids <laughs> when they graduate from college, and I'm sure yeah. you want that. But, you know, not everybody goes to college, right? No. So, you know, but they can be a good person and they can do really great things no matter where they're at in life. Be a good person.
0: That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much. I mean, uh, you're such an example. My dad, uh, like I said, my, my dad always said that preparation, meeting opportunity equals success. And I think that your success is eminent. Um, you're such a phenomenal guy in the community. And I, I love the fact that, you know, when one of the things that you said earlier before we started recording was that, that you spend money uh, like it's your own. And, um, you know, no matter what you're, uh, when you're listening, whatever your uh, political affiliation is, my political affiliation is always the person and the people so and I just think that it's amazing I don't think that we there could be a better person representing this community than a person who's been representing this community for the last 40 years so I want to thank you uh, Mr. Phil Urbina uh, District for Councilman uh, I know you're uh, in the race right now um, I, I, I think that it's incredible what it is that you're doing and not only just for that in the political side but I just think that you're a great human being and a a great example of what Carlsbad is. Although, please don't move to Carlsbad because we don't need to be overcrowded. Um, it is the best place in the entire world. And um, I tell you, I want to be the unofficial mayor of, uh, of Carlsbad. Not because I want to be a, uh, a politician, but because I have never, ever, ever experienced a place like Carlsbad. It has is, it is helped me in every realm, and it made no sense. I actually feel... As we finish today, I, uh, I didn't tell my accountant when I was moving to Carlsbad from Las Vegas because she wouldn't have let me. I did it, and I didn't tell her for six months. And <laughs> when she found out, she was like, what are you doing? Why are you moving to California? And I said, because oh, God let me know that if you focus on your family— I'll take care of everything else. And since the point that I've moved here, it's the first time that it was a a decision that had nothing to do with my business. And that's the first time in 20 years. It had all to do with my family. And I focused on my family and God's been taking care of everything else. So I want to thank you, Phil. You're awesome. You're a gentleman. Thank you,
1: but my last point I got to make is, I, I think to a certain extent, we're all mirrors, okay? And you're a mirror. And you love Carlsbad and you see all these great people in Carlsbad. What you're really seeing is you. Because you're out there giving, you're out there smiling, and you're talking and being nice to people. Everyone is not like that. But because you are who you are, those are the responses that you get. And you do so much for this community as well. It's just such a pleasure to talk to you and work with you and uh, see you at the chamber and, you know, hear you at the uh, Student Leadership Academy when we were both working there. But, you know, Carlsbad has a lot of wonderful people, but, you know, you, you give... You get what you give, and you give a lot. So it's just been an honor to be here with you, and always fun hanging out with you.
0: Thank you so much, man.
1: Thanks, Kyle.